It's not often that I read something written by a sales agent that has me spitting out my tea, thumping the table and saying, hell yeah. Normally I'm annoyed at sales speak, the unconscious bias and a lack of nuance. But property isn't all about bricks and mortar, it's about people. And who better than a selling agent to make observations about the often absurd way in which buyers and sellers respond to different market conditions. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Award. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. Today, we're joined by Sydney real estate agent David Murphy, who has come to our attention not through his record-breaking sales nor via pithy Insta reels, but through some old-fashioned wordsmithing in weekly emails that cut through the crap. No other agent has had their emails shared around my team with the same frequency. A genuine career agent, David Murphy started in real estate at the tender age of 19 and he set up his own business in 2007 with the goal of being the leading independent agency in Mossman. And David's weekly emails provide a humorous yet sharp perspective on what's going on in his market, and it usually boils down to some predictable yet rarely acknowledged human behavior. For example, in one December 2022 email, he refers to the slowdown of the market, and I quote, low activity isn't a bad thing. It means no one is panicking, but it's frustrating. The mathematical formula is unrealistic sellers plus cautious buyers equals real estate agents curse and drink more wine. Well, welcome, David. We're looking forward to a conversation about what goes on at ground level in the property market. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me on the show. David, it's a really, um, I guess, refreshing, you know, what people really want from agents is that, you know, truth and honesty and real matter of fact, I find. So obviously, some people want the opposite, right? They want you to tell how amazing their property is. But you know, has this, this been your approach since day one back when you were 19 or have you sort of grown to be this more matter of fact and frank about the way that you approach things? Um, look, I think I, I think it's a bit of both. When I came into real estate, and which was now nearly 25 years ago, um, on my first day, the people that I started working with had me as a dummy bidder at an auction and I was 19 and it was day one in real estate and I was thinking, <laughs> how on earth, like, how does this work? And I think I started to develop a bit of a sense of when I walked into people's living rooms pitching for business that if we just called it the way that it was, that most people really, really responded well. Mm. Um, the newsletter it started as, as an internal memo that I used to just send out to the staff as a bit of a joke and we'd have a crack at local competitors and then, and then a few years ago, uh, my office manager said, we really need to get this out there. And we were really surprised at the level of engagement. Um, we do get complaints. I think a lot of agents subscribed <laughs> in our database, um, not as agents, but they, they really let us have it. But um, what we find, honestly, is, is that there's a real hunger out there for people just to kind of hear it the way it is. And, and real estate's got so much spin that I think, um, like, Chris, I read some of your posts on LinkedIn and, and I, you know, I notice it's authentic and, and people engage with it because it's, it's, it's honest. People don't want to hear about the red hot market when the auction clearance rates is at 50, 55 cent. So, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a really interesting journey. It's a, the newsletter's turned into a bit of a car that I don't know how to drive because we've now got over 20,000 subscribers and there's, wow. <laughs> there's pressure every week to come up with something funny. But um, we literally have a think tank on a Friday morning and say, what are we seeing out there and and talk about it? And, and most of the time sort of, sort of hit the mark. It's so funny because it's like often think you could write a comedy script about, I mean, I guess there is that, that what's that thing set in Tasmania called, but that's not quite the same, a, a proper comedy script about all the things that happen in a real estate agency oh. and all the silly things that people say and all the, the dialogue that gets said. You talk about spin and, and as you're talking, I keep thinking about the way, and look, I've done, I'm guilty, I've been a sales agent as well. It's like you talk about a growth corridor and you're really talking about development, you're not talking about capital yeah, growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're talking about spring is seller's market. No, it isn't, it's buyer's yeah. market. It's yeah. just, you know, spring has sprung, it's a selling season. It's actually... There's nothing in that for vendors, really. It's good to hear, actually, that you've had that level of response. Yeah. 
to your emails. 20,000 subscribers, huge. Yeah. Do you say that – so I'm guessing then, because I was going to ask, do you say the same things in your listing appraisals, but it sounds like this is – the newsletter has sort of evolved from what you've been doing as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that um, we kind of knew we were onto something when after the GFC, when I'd started the business, that we were getting called in and we weren't being pitched against other agents. We were just being called in for discussions yeah. and people actually just cared about what we what we said. We don't win all of the listings and the, the business that we pitch for, but we are often called in to have just a meaningful sort of valuable discussion. So the newsletter, as silly as it is sometimes, I think um, really is just a response to, uh, I, look, I go into living rooms all the times and I hear what some of the other agents say to people. And it's just, there's such a disconnect between the profession and mm. consumers um, I often say to um, team members here when I'm training them, don't try and be one of these superstars. Just be yourself. Like, just sit down with people and, 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 and be honest. And you'd be amazed at the response you get. But if, if you think about it yourself, if you call in three agents and two of them are there with a pen trying to force you to sign something and someone else is there trying to figure out what you're trying to achieve, should you be selling? Is this the right time? Um, you're going to you're going to win the business, or you're going to win the client, um, and that's not hard work. It's actually it's actually easier. What do you think the David you, the big the the BS test? We had a vendor advocate on a we haven't done uh, just recently, and um, she was sort of you know whole, whole business around vendor advocacy in Melbourne, and yeah. um, you know I was kind of like she's a BS test sort of thing. You know she can sort of hear what the agent's saying, and no, no, that's just agent talk, right? They're talking yeah. nonsense, and you know this is a strategy you might want to. You know, for that type of, um, you know, the typical sort of over, you know, buying the listing, you know, for people who are thinking about selling, what, how do you really, like, how can you identify that type of agent very yeah. early on? What's some of the questions you'd probably ask if you were selling and, you know, and what's some of the things that you would want to know, you know, that you're picking the right agent? Uh, it's a really good question because I think most of the problems come about when people call in three trained charming salespeople into their living room and then try and choose which one is the most charming um or the least the least smarmy <laughs> exactly exactly actually it's funny you say that there was a research thing done about 10 years ago and i think the results of it were that um the majority of people chose the real estate agent they disliked the least um which i found <laughs> quite tragic um but but i think i think the the the, the whole um quote trap where people get called in um, or agents get caught in and ask, how much is my house worth? Normally, the, the issue, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm standing in front of agents, but I do know what it's like when you really want to win a listing and you know that if you tell the truth, you're not going to win the listing because the other guys are going to be in there talking higher numbers. But I do think that as a seller, you can find ways to um, sort of debunk what the agent's really thinking. And I think things like sliding scales on fee are very revealing. Um, I think if you say to an agent, look, it's great that you think my house is worth 3 million, everyone else thinks it's worth 2.5. Um, I want three, so if you can get me three, I'm happy to pay you 2.5%, where an average fee might be, say, 2%. But then if, if you say to the agent, would you be interested in a tiered payment schedule or a sliding scale, and they say, yeah, absolutely, it's always very telling if you tell the agent to design that scale and present it to you because in that scale, it'll tell you what the agent thinks your house is worth. Now, it happens to me all the time. The problem with the newsletter is I get people that call in and read it and go, all right, mate, well, you're still a real estate agent and I, um, I, I have to do that. But it is a very good sort of way to tell. Uh, I see the agent really thinks it's worth about 2.7, not three. Um, I, I think that's a good start. I love that because the problem is that everyone plays a part in this, totally. right? The owner is being flattered and I know, I remember I was a sales agent. I, I, know, I know I've had friends list properties. We do vendor advisory work as well. Yeah. I get the pull to go with that person who, and inverted commas, believes in my property. I oh, mean, totally. It's irresistible. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's ir look, I sold my house last year and um, – I said to a colleague, get some people through it, and if they offer me this, I'll give them the keys. And um, um, one of my colleagues, Bindi, brought a bunch of people through. Um, the third person that came through offered me that number. Um, and I was like, get another 100,000. And she was like, you're doing what we see all the time. Mm. Um, and, of course, I, she didn't get it. We sold the house and it all worked out well. But I think it's very hard um, when you're trying to value your own home and your future. Like if... Mm. 
I, if I sit in front of you and say, I can get you three million, you do want to believe it. Um, and that's that's where it gets tricky. And and I do empathize with sellers a lot where they go, look, David, we trust you. We, we feel like you're being completely straight with us. But if the other guy can get us that because he believes in it. And I that, that is a that is a tricky space to sort of to, to, to pull apart. What's your thoughts, David, around the, the things that are wrong with the property, the compromise that buyers are ultimately going to make, right? In a hot market, buyers make lots of compromises, right? The, yeah, yeah. The compromise is if I don't buy now, I'll never buy sort of in their mindset, right? So in this market, though, everything's telling, right? The the veil's been lifted, the stairs, the road, the noise, the privacy, et cetera. How do you sort of approach that? Like, let's say you, you know, the, pro- the property's sellable. I guess every yeah. agent thinks every property's sellable at a certain price. But how do you... How do you deal with those up front rather than, you know, later on in the campaign when, you know, oh, we're not selling it for what you said because people aren't, well, that you could have, we knew that at the start that people weren't going to like that. Um, So why are you bringing my price down now? So how do you deal with things that are wrong with the property from a buyer's point of view um, with the seller? That's another good question. I think it's very difficult to call someone in. It's that whole, like, do I look good in this dress thing, right? You don't, you can't win no matter which way you go with it. Um, (laughs) I will say this year that we've won a lot of the sales that we've won. We've actually been the second agent um, because we've sat in front of people and said, it's not worth that because it, it, the stairs. I mean, the, the point you make is a very good one. We're, we're in a far more discerning market yeah. now. And um, uh, there's that saying that when, what is it? When desperation rises, standards fall. And mm. <laughs> we're in a market now where people will walk away and go, it doesn't have a fence down the southern boundary. And you think, well, I can get you a fence, you, you know, for 10 grand. But um, I, I, look, I think the way that I try to deal with it is to talk to people, explain that being objective when they're selling their property actually adds value to the process because mm. real estate full of so many paradoxical, paradoxical moments where like when your house goes on the market first, you'll generally get your best offers. But when your house has gone on the market first, you've just been through two and a half months of decluttering, getting in stylus. You, you don't want to give it up on the first week. You kind of want to see who else is out there. Um, but I think if a seller can enter the market with an agent that they know is being honest enough with them when they're looking to hire, that they're probably going to be hiring someone that when they're on the market is going to be able to guide them through the process. Um, and look, trust, it's so schmarmy to sit in front of someone as an agent and say, look, it's really important that you trust your agent. But I've got clients I've worked for now three or four times and they they call me up and say, we want to move in March. What do you think? The market's the market. We all know that. If you get lucky, you could get an amazing price. But I think you do need to understand the shortfalls of your property before it goes on the market because Mm. if you waste time on market or on stage, as I often say to clients, Mm. downloading negative feedback, um, it can cost you in the end. So. Look, it's not easy. It's not easy to to have a mortgage and sit in front of someone and think, if I fumble the ball here, I'm going to lose an $80,000 fee and, you know, the guy down the road at X, Y and Z real estate is going to win the listing. But it's a bit of a leap of faith. And I think that most people are, I'm lucky in the area that I work in, pretty switched on, pretty commercial, um, and they recognise it and they can smell the BS when when it's in front of them. But um but look, even this this morning, my my assistant said to me, "We didn't get that one in Neutral Bay, and it's a three million dollar property, and I know it'll sell for what we think it'll sell for." In fact, can I tell you a, a but funny that doesn't pay you though, right? So hey? that doesn't get you paid, and that's but that yeah. must be the hard thing from an agent. You you sort of miss out, and you know someone's overquoted it. You know they're going to get the sale for a price that you've you know you've told the but the yeah. the person selling it will go, "Oh, David told me it was going to sell for two point seven five." Um, but the commission has gone to the agent that overquoted that must as a as an agent's being honest out there is that sort of how do you deal with that well you often get them next time around like mm. 6 or 7 years down the track you know um it's interesting i was i was just thinking about something i went to a realestate.com think tank a couple of years ago and they said to me and a bunch of agents how do we make this website more consumer friendly and i sort of put my hand up being um a bit naive and said why don't you track the agents with what they quote on day one for the property's <laughs> worth and then form a ratio or some sort of indicator that, you know, Veronica's 90% accurate or David's 85% accurate. Mm. And the room erupted, like all the agents were like, oh, you know, there's no way we'd do that. But, I mean, how good would that be if you were looking online and you could sort of tell? So, look, the, the price issue is tricky. 
I love that the room erupted, no way we're going to do that. I mean, I've sat in some some real estate briefings as well. You know, I've been around 20-odd years and I still I remember one about underquoting. It was a, it was bringing in the new underquoting laws. It was back in 2016 and it, it just like the, 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 it, people were tripping over themselves to ask questions like, how can we get around it? <laughs> how yeah. can we get around it? You know. <laughs> Do you know what? They'll say one thing about that. I've been thinking about that a lot recently because recently we got the microscope put on us by fair trading mm-hmm. um, because the, pri- the prices have fallen. So yes. yeah. our price guides have changed and there's been a couple of occasions where the property has looked like it's being underquoted, but... It's not. We just don't have any interest in the house. But I, 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 look, I, I think that when buyers start their buying journey, they have an unrealistic picture of what they can buy. And when sellers start their selling journey, they generally have an unrealistic picture of what they'll get. And agents live in that space in between. Um, and thank God, because if people weren't unrealistic, there'd probably be transactions you know, made left, right and centre where people would just be like, yeah, OK, I'll take that. That's a fair price, where agents have to manage it. So... It's tricky. Like having just bought and sold, I paid more than I wanted to. I didn't get that extra hundred grand. Objectively, we did all right. You know, it's funny. It's funny you say that because it's one of my issues with a lot of these. You know, these real estate, the new prop tech solutions that supposedly take you know deal with this lack of trust in the industry, and it's what they fail to understand is just because an AVM says a property's worth something does not mean the vendor's going to accept that and does not mean the buyer's going to pay that. And that's really where the role of a a good agent comes in. But I've noticed um, quite a lot what happens in a a market that turns down. So I've definitely noticed this at sort of the beginning of COVID and I certainly noticed this in, in second half of 2022. You get agents who use fear to encourage vendors to list now because obviously yeah. it's in an agent's best interest to you list now. It's not in my best interest as a sales agent to say, oh, wait till next year. I think that, you know, there'll be less stock in the market or be better conditions or whatever. And and so you hear this peddling and I'm quite surprised even from agents that I've respected that, that really pushing this idea that next year the market's going to fall off a cliff and all this sort of stuff. What do you think what, what goes through your minds when you hear that sort of dialogue from sales agents to potential vendors? We're hearing that, like a huge increase in that. In fact, I saw a property the other day and I think the auction's about four days before Christmas Day. Mm. And um, when I spoke to the owners, they rang me and said, do you think um, it's too deep into the Christmas season? Like, <laughs> it's it's three or four days before Christmas. It's pretty deep in the Christmas season. Oh <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 again, I think that the issue here is that it's been a leaner year for real estate agents. Um, um, I know our sales figures are down sort of 20 to 25% on last year. So mm. I think there are a lot of agents that have had a pretty tough year. I'm not asking for everyone to sort of feel terribly sorry for them, but I think that that is a driving factor for why um, agents, it's very competitive at the moment. Um, every year when the December media cycle starts, I always hear this next year is going to be the year. It's like the media just turns towards a very speculative stage about what next year may or may not be. And every year, Q1 of the new year, I've seen, and I might be wrong because of the rates and there's all these other factors, but I've seen the market actually come back with a little bit more Mm. life and outperform Q4 of the year before. So I'm not an economist. I I often say to clients, I can't can't predict what will happen. But I think of an agent sitting in front of you right now saying there's still time for an auction campaign this year. Um, it's it, it makes no sense to me to step into this market. The market's exhausted. It's been a long year. Yeah. And I think yeah. with all the rate rises, you're dealing with a very... Um, I, I hope you agree with that, Chris. Like I do read your articles and I like the fact that they're data-driven and direct. But I, what we're seeing is a market that needs a reset, needs a break. Mm. Um and um, I, I just think that real p- consumers, to answer your question, Veronica, I think that consumers just need to be aware of if an agent's coming into your house pushing for a listing and a sale, they're looking for a commission. Um, uh, if they're not talking options, they're looking for a commission. I've been there. I mean, I've, I've got the luxury of age now where I'm, you know, in my 40s and I've, I've had a fairly good career. So it does come... Um, with time that you can afford to sit in front of someone and say, listen, you know, um, maybe you should wait, you know. And uh, yeah. I think back when I was 22, 23, sitting in living rooms going, no, 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 the market's going to crash next year. There's the bird flu. There's like all yes, these always something. Things. Yeah, the Y2K, the bird flu. There's like, there, there, there's always something. Um, but I think based purely on supply and demand, 
I'm I'm very bullish medium to long term of property in in Sydney, and um, I think if people are in no need to sell, it, it's a buyer's market at the moment. There's no need to entertain it. Um, I mean, that yeah. sort of age, you have to think you're a pretty good actor, though, right? Because you know, one minute you you know you walk in, you're sitting in the lounge room, right? And you're like, market's going to collapse, right? Next minute yeah. you leave the front door, jump in your car, and go to an open home, and yeah, now you got to be like. <laughs> Oh, what Took a great time to buy! <laughs> you know, and so you'd have to be like almost bipolar in a in a in a sense to be able to yeah. play both of those things realistically. Like, and that's I think from a long term point of view, they're the agents that are going to crash and burn because totally. you know they got to get it wrong. It's the same in financial planning world. Yeah, um, I was that. I was I was reading the wrong things early days, being an advisor, reading the wrong newsletters, listening to the wrong, going to the wrong events. Um, yeah. Etc. And you think that you know marketing proves shows that financial advisors can outperform markets. That's what we were told. Um, yeah. That's what the whole sales industry is. Then you realise after a few years, hang on a sec, I've made it wrong three or four times. Um, actually, oh, yeah. these index funds just to perform, outperform, and you get those learnings. But that abundance mindset, I think, um, mm. will carry you through long term. So where Veronica said, oh, you know, it's not in their interest. What is actually in your interest? Yeah. To be frank and play the long game, um, it's the only way you're going to survive. Um, yeah. And you're only going to get better results. I think the North Shore um, mindset, though, every community's got, um, you know, different people, right? Different cats, I guess. The North Shore sort of mindset, such a long term generational yeah. wealth. What are some of the, the things that people who don't know that marketplace that really perpetuate it and sort of give it sort of stability? Um, you know, parents and the kids reinvesting and how does that all sort of play out that people just don't understand the power of, you know, established markets to hold their yeah. value um, versus, say, new new markets where people are much more flippant? Yeah, I, it, it, it's a good point. I think that the, the main thing is established wealth um, mm. because I think when the market changes, what I've noticed um, uh, for listeners that don't know, I'm based in sort of Mossman Cremor Neutral yeah. Bay. Very lucky in that space because it is it is a very affluent area. But um, when the market changes significantly, locals buy the property. Like they, you know, if someone lives on Spencer Road in Mossman and all of a sudden a semi that used to be 2.4 million is now 1.9, you know, somebody who's been on the street for 30 or 40 years will have the equity to buy that because they know... Right. That in you know two three years time it'll be back. Um, I've got this theory that like after a couple of glasses of wine, that Australia being relatively newly settled, we've got a blind faith in um, settlement and in property, and that underpins the market. I think at the end of the day, we all believe that if you've got a decent house on a decent street over time, it'll go up, and it's a fair call to think that because if you look historically, the numbers sort of support it. But I think areas like the Lower North Shore of Sydney. They're so um, there's hardly any new property being built. There's all mm. there's pressure there from locals, from people returning from overseas. There's always a market. Even now, when I talk about it being a, a buyer's market, it, we're only playing fifteen percent off the highs of last year. It's not it, it, it's not a bad market. It's just not quite what it was. So the the observation that I've made around here over the years for is because it's quality property. Um, people know. Um, yeah, or they or they collectively believe that medium to long term wise that, that the property will keep going up in value, and in a sense that creates a false bottom in the market that everyone on the street goes, I wouldn't sell at the moment. There's no way I'd take two million for this place. So I feel like there's that self sourcing element, but um, but it's true. There's there's only a limited number of houses. We're in a beautiful city in a beautiful country in 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 a you know a, a great part of the world, and a lot of people want to live here. So. Um, yeah. Well, that, that's the, sort of the definition of market value, isn't it? A willing mm. seller meets a willing buyer. And, of course, if you've got unwilling, unwilling sellers, you know, they don't need to, to meet the market, then, of <laughs> course, that's why you've got that, that flaw. Yeah. It's, it is interesting, though, because you still – and I remember being a sales agent. I remember you still got to deal with sort of know-it-alls that turn up to your open houses and trying to yeah. tell you it's all going to fall through the floor. It could be wishful thinking because they're not in, in the market themselves. Oh, or, yeah, people that didn't buy before 2016. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. always that person that will yeah, never yeah, get yeah. in the market because it's yeah. never good enough for them. Yeah. Um, but what are some of the – I guess what frustrates you the most about buyer behaviour and some of those lines that they'll trot out and they don't realise that they're not the only person to – have said that 
Yeah, look, I think buyers have had a bit of a comeback this year. They've sort of been treated badly for the last two years and sort of, you know, um, humiliated at auctions. I know my sister-in-law went through six months of turning up and um, attending auctions on the northern beaches and just getting absolutely, you know, um, uh, it was it was actually terrible because she was mm. going through a lot. But um, I think buyers have come back in this market in 2022 with a bit of revenge up their sleeve and, and turning up to auctions. And we had an auction two weeks ago, in fact, where we had three registered buyers and three other buyers that didn't register, but they just heckled the auction because it didn't get to reserve. And, you know, they loved it. And we were, I was kind of standing there um, thinking, how much time do you have on your hands if you're doing this on a Saturday morning? But, <laughs> yes. Um, I, look, I think what um, buyers need to sort of be mindful of is, particularly if it's for a home, um, y y you don't win by going in and being um, uh, difficult with the agent. I know a lot of agents are difficult to deal with and having just been through it, I, I totally empathise with that. But if the agent that you don't like or have been pretty tricky with lists the house that you do like... Um, you're you're in a you're in a really tricky position because it's it, it scares me sometimes how much power agents have in the process because they're the conduit between the market and the vendor and you know I, what I see sometimes at open houses is buyers come in be openly critical of a property talk the price down and sort of walk out the door like they you know um, have just won the day and then a week later that agent's got the house they want and they put themselves into a tricky spot but. Again, I, I understand it because I think if you look at underquoting and um, people literally, like I bought a house, I, I bought a house last year and the price guide was 20, I think 22% below what we had to pay to buy it. Now we knew it was under, but, um, but my partner at the time, she was like, oh my God, I can't believe we can afford this property. And I'm like, we can't, like <laughs> we're, we're getting played. Um, but mm. then I got into a bidding war and she was so invested in buying the house that I was in this really, it was a good learning because I was like, oh, gosh, like now we have to buy it. And um, for people that miss out at auctions, it's, it always makes me think when you look at an auction, there's always that celebration for the person that wins. But mm. there's, there's normally two or three people left in the garden that are gutted. Um, yeah. It's a really difficult um a difficult, a difficult thing to deal with. So I think, look, this, what I see a lot of is, is buyers now coming back being like, oh, this is our market and you guys are going to suffer and you're going to have to sell that Range Rover and all that sort of stuff. And um, I don't drive <laughs> a Range Rover, by the way, just just for the record. Isn't Maserati the new yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's yeah. What I was going to say. Yeah. It's I a do, Lamborghini I, I, SUV. Yeah. Um, David, I mean, I guess what's your, on that though with the like the liking the agent and not liking the agent. I mean, how do you feel about agents actually putting preference to the the buyer that they ultimately do like, or the buyer that you know maybe it's not that obviously there's a vendor interest, right? But if they can get yeah. a vendor around that money and then also sell it to the buyer that they like or the buyer that they think deserves it the most, how active do you reckon that is in the market where? You know, maybe they go back to them for the final offer or maybe they, you know, give them access a bit earlier so they can get their ducks lined up versus some other buyers. Or, you know, yeah. maybe you give them a bit of extra information that really puts, you know, encourages them to make an offer. Um, yeah. How do you think that plays out in the market and how important it is to, to get the agents on your side? Do you think that there is a benefit there? Uh, I think it's a really, really good question that raises some very tricky issues. I think a lot of <laughs> agents will favour buyers that have a property to sell. Yes. Um, and I I am, and look, to be honest, like I, I, what I don't want to come off here is that I'm not perfect and I've got, you know, we've, we've got it wrong before and we don't win all of our business. So I don't want to sit here and sound like the white knight of real estate that's going to come out and sort of save everyone. But I think if you're, if their awareness is really valuable in the market. And if a purchaser walks up to an agent and says, I really like this property and we own the one around the corner. Um, it might be a semi or whatever it is. And if you help me get this, we'll give you our listing. Um, that That is a really tricky thing that happens in the market. And we see a lot of it. Um, and I think it's important for a seller to understand that when their agent's communicating to them who they are, where are they coming from, what you know are they, have they sold if not are they talking to you about selling their place it's fine if they are but like i think it's information as a seller that you should you should have mm. um 
because you're right, Chris, sometimes processes get accelerated because the agent will go, well, hang on, if I sell it to him, we'll get the one around yeah. the corner, that's two deals. Um, the owner will never know. Um, and I think this is where the prop tech things that you talk about, Veronica, that are coming into the mix. And one will come along, I'm sure, that um, that disrupts the industry, I'm sure. Like, it just feels like an industry that's ripe for it, um, to give people full visibility. Um, but, the, the, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing I've come up against where I will often say to a friend who's trying to buy a property, did you make the offer? Yes. Did you put it in writing? Yes. Have you had a response? No. I'm like send the offer to their solicitor. Mm. And they're like, why would I do that? I don't want to annoy anyone. And so you need to make sure that offer gets to the owner. Um, and look, most of the times it does, but once in a while it doesn't. And you've uncovered that this particular mm. agent is shepherding someone. And um, yeah, I guess they're just things that you, you sort, sort of need to be aware of. Can you cut Not the agent out though? The agent gets a bit pissed off with that though. Totally. Because Totally. Oh, yeah. And the agent's totally. like, hang on a sec. You know, <laughs> I, I was just getting back to you. I was just speaking to the vendor and then it all feels like, you're almost put to the bottom of the pile then. Is, totally, is that a risky yeah. strategy sometimes to play? Totally risky. And 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 do you know what? I think that um, uh, it, it is risky because you don't want to disenfranchise that, that agent. But, I mean, if you've made an offer and three days later you haven't yeah. had a response, either that agent's is lazy or um, something's not quite right. Um, but... Look, uh, there are a lot of really, really good agents in the marketplace, and uh, over the over time, you start to see which agents have consistent performance and which ones will be helpful. And it's not a popularity contest. It's like if you're looking for a particular house and they can help you, then that's great. But um, but yeah, I, look, the, the, I I have new staff that come into this office, and I often say to them, real estate will knock your socks off. You'll see things in property that you just wouldn't believe. And it normally takes two weeks before they come up and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that, you know, this happened. Or, yeah, the reality show, the reality show, that's not Lux listings with the guys cruising around in the Bentleys. The, the, the real reality show would be very watchable, I think. I'm on a personal mission to help more people make better property decisions. And you can find out all about what I'm working on at veronicamorgan.com.au. And there you'll find resources for first home buyers, details about my buyer's agent mentoring program, access to suburb help for investors, or if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or lower north shore, you can connect with my team at Good Deeds Property Buyers. And if you'd like a 30% discount plus free postage for my book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property, Even Though You're Scared Shitless, and yes, I'm a potty mouth, use the code ELEPHANT at the checkout, veronicamorgan.com.au. You're thinking about buying your first home, upgrading to a new one, or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, we would love to carefully guide you through this journey and importantly, get the finance right. Please reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Don't forget that you can download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au. It's the conversations that you have in those living rooms. It's the yeah. conversations when the auction is passing in. It's the conversations you have when, you know, you've got three buyers and you, you've just got to really, it's all the sort of the story behind it, the lives that you're actually changing, I guess, and the stresses totally. um, and why they're selling and the story with the neighbor and everything like that. That's, I think, the fun of real estate rather than the, the glitz and glam of the money, I guess. But it's... Um, oh. It's Chris, yeah. it's why I still do it. I mean, I often get asked by friends, like, you'd, you've been doing this for 20 years, like, why do you still do it? And um, even as early as yesterday, I went into a living room and met a woman who'd recently lost a husband and she it had been revealed to her that there were significant financial issues and I was like, hang on, hang on, you don't need to sign up with an agent right now, you need a good financial advisor, you need an accountant, you need, you need like, help. And I, I was driving away from the house thinking... I don't think I'll get that house because I feel like she's told me too much. And I've noticed sometimes in my job that if someone opens up to you too much, you won't get the gig because they'll go and they'll walk the dog with a friend and they'll be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you told the guy that. And But the 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 real estate's messy. Um, like what it's, I, I often say to friends, it's like uh, making sausages, that if you kind of knew what it was like working in a real estate office, you wouldn't do it because it's dealing with people going through divorce. It's going people in debt. It's really mm. messy. It, it's not Lux listings. Uh, look, it might be for those guys and, and you know, um, and, and good on them. But more often than not, I'm going home thinking about, 
dealing with someone who's, you know, just their their relationships collapse. We've seen a lot of that this year. I, yeah. I think of the sales that we've made this year, such a huge percentage were from divorce um, that uh, it, it impacted the team. We're dealing with a lot of really, really tricky situations. Mm. It is tough. And I think too from, a you know, the trusted advisor perspective of a real estate agent, there's a there's a small cohort of agents um who see themselves as trusted advisors. There's also a cohort that think that they're trusted advisors, but they're not. You know, they, yeah. they give the same advice mm. to everyone basically and they think they're trustworthy, but they just don't even get it that there is a bigger there's a bigger picture, uh, you know, involved. And, you know, what you're talking about there, um, about the advising people that, look, actually slow down, don't sell until you've got these other ducks lined yeah. up. That's that's quite holistic advice. And and certainly on the buyer's side of the equation, I find that frustrating too because we will do that same, exactly that same conversation with clients. Don't, what, don't buy yet. Go and get these things sorted out before yeah. you buy. There's unfortunately, like you say, they might go for a walk with someone who says, why did you tell them that? Oh, you need to go and talk to someone else and not tell them anything. Yeah. But the reality is that people do need to share this stuff. If they can find a trusted advisor, they do need to share those things so that they do get good advice. It's rare to get that when you're not being paid for it because a sales yeah. agent only gets paid when you sell. Yeah. Um, at least I can actually, you know, I do property strategy sessions and people might pay for my advice. But in our pre, you know, our sort of sales pitches, if you like, to potential clients we're not being paid at that point you know yeah. and and we are giving advice often slow down yeah. but yeah. then you will get unscrupulous operators who they don't even think they're unscrupulous they just think that they've got a job to do and they're quite transactional in their thinking yeah and they will swoop in and they'll go no 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 you can sell you can buy yeah. and unfortunately you can't protect people from that i'd love to be able to but you can't because no, no. you know human beings and they will knee jerk and they will make decisions that aren't necessarily in their best interest mm. so that must be frustrating i mean it's always been frustrating for me and i've seen business not come our way because we've been had a similar yeah. approach to you but i've also seen people come back second time and I've also seen people refer us where they didn't choose us and wish they had so yeah. so I know how that can come back if you do have a long-term view but I am curious to know what are some of the things that do frustrate you the most about vendors you know because they will uh -huh. say stuff won't they and they will <laughs> trot well, out these lines well I can tell you now um my uh, partner had a baby last week. It was our first child. Congratulations! And, um, it all there, there is a the stay with me, but the 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 I had to leave the auction to go to the hospital. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was talk about the reality show. Um, but when I left the auction, I, I, I won't put all the numbers in because it'll be too sort of easily identifiable. But the parties were two hundred thousand dollars apart on a ten million dollar property. Um, and when I was at the Royal North Shore, I was texting the team saying, is it done, is it done, is it done? And it's still not done. So that was a week and a half ago. And what I sometimes see with owners, the reason I tell that story is they become so fixated on a number um, that their friends might have told them or mm. that an agent might have told them or I might have told them. I mean, I often say to people, I think it's worth this, but we, you know, we obviously won't know. But vendors in particular... I think sometimes lose sight of why they're doing what they're doing. Yep. Um, and in this instance, they want to retire. Mm. Um, they can retire now. Um, and I think anybody who's been through life, you kind of see time is one of those things that it's only important when you realize when something happens. And I, I often am try. I work with a lot of downsizers and say, guys, like you don't have to sell, but if you make this work and you can go and spend time with the grandkids, get on with it. Like, you know, we've, we've just seen mm. the biggest property boom in the last 20 mm. years. Why are you waiting on that? There's that. Um, vendors that insist people take pe their shoes off before they come into their oh, house. Yes. I find that extremely frustrating <laughs> because when you're running an open house and you've got 20 groups coming through, that's 40 shoes <laughs> plus partners plus friends. Um, so that's not ideal. Um, um, Why but, do people put white carpet down is what I've got to ask. Oh, I mean, seriously, what a yeah. dumb decision. But, no, I, I agree. It's one of my bugbears. I always hate it when I wear the wrong boots out on a Saturday opening. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny it's a funny thing, open houses. It's sort of you get people to come in and use the bathroom mid-open. Oh, like, yes. like, there's just things that I often tell my mum stories and she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happens. I'm like, it happens all the time. Like, it's, it's just how it goes. But, look, to get back to your question, I think, like, frustrations with vendors – um, 
look, normally it's fear, right? Normally there's there's something going on in the background that is preventing a decision. Um, um, indecisiveness is obviously tricky, but I, you know, I, again, I get it. Like when I sold my house last year, I got offered the money I wanted and took me three quarters of a bottle of wine and a long walk to, to accept the offer. Um, and it was confronting how difficult it was. So I mm. think that, you know, it's so easy. Like I'm working on this deal I just mentioned to you before and my team are saying to me this morning, we any closer? I'm like, we're 50 grand closer, but we're still miles apart. Um, but, you know, people are people, they'll make decisions. I, I, those people will always sell with me. It might take another three months, but, um, you know, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, I think price is probably the main thing where I think people say, I got a valuation for 4.5 million from the bank last year. That's the number. And you sit with them and think and say, look, you've just had 7,000 people through the place. Like Mm -hmm. it's 4.1, you know, um, but that, that'd probably be, or, or the other thing that I know Bindi would say, she's not here who works with me on every file, um, vendors that won't do any make any effort to get the property ready for market um Mm. it's madness it's madness most buyers have 15 to 20 minutes in your house um and then they're forced to make a major decision um if you you don't put the time and energy into presenting your property um you are costing yourself money um yeah and and we see it we see it often where people go it's too hard it, it, it comes back in, in drives. Especially these days. When I first started in real estate, like only the very special properties yeah. were styled, you know, but now everything, you stole a one-bedroom apartment, you know, like 100%. you practically stole for rental now. So, mm. so actually probably don't have to for rental anymore, but... <laughs> um, it's funny you say that because it, it is funny you say that because we realised something in the office a couple of weeks ago that the sale properties that we sell that were styled and then the marketing that we use from mm. those dead sale properties always lease like that like yeah. straight away yeah um and so our rental department's kind of like well how do we get around it and uh, virtual styling is not popular because it's kind of weird you, it's, you it does look it weird and, yeah yeah but I, I i do think that um people not um investing a little bit of money into um the presentation of the house um that's frustrating because it, it, you can see them losing money yeah the whole up the whole uh anchoring to a price i mean happened this morning with a client um you know, it's a frustrating thing. He came to me like three, four years ago, um, you know, it was an apartment somewhere in Sydney, high density. After he purchased it, I was like, I could see the writing on the wall. I knew there was a lot more developments coming. Yeah. Um, and it's just been a, it's been a year, maybe 18 months trying to get them to upgrade, you know, a little baby and, you know, and you know, it's tight, right? If they sell it at this point, they're only going to get this much cash because it hasn't gone up. It's actually gone down in value over four years and, um and and I, even now he's making offers and it's like 15 grand difference, you know, 2% difference to the sale price potentially. Um, but it's so fixated to that number and it's like yeah. re-educating and what's the opportunity cost here? What's the benefit are you trying to sell? What are you going to achieve? And I think it's got to, it's so hard to shift your brain from the pain of mm. life not working out or the, the situation not being what you want it to be to what it could become in the future and, and yeah. taking people on that journey. David, is someone probably in the, one of the most competitive markets in the country. I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball towards Veronica here. Um, what's your thoughts on the sort of the buyers agents and <laughs> um, the evolution of that industry and the pros and cons and how to get the best result from a buyers agent for someone who would have been dealing with them for a long, long time? You know, I'm really surprised how prevalent buyers agents have become. Um, I think earlier in my career, I thought, nah, you know, this won't be, this won't catch on. And um, again, I think the benefit of time, it's it's now a thing. I think we did a calculation that about 20% of the transactions now that we do uh, in our market involved, or, or uh, there's a buyers agent involved. So they're, they're here to stay. Um, I've used a buyer's agent to buy an investment property in Queensland. Um, I think that added a lot of value because I didn't know the market and he did and he was referred to me and I trusted him and uh, it, it was a good it was a good experience. Um, I think if you're fairly commercial and you've got the time, um, you don't need a buyer's agent. That's my genuine um, feel um, because I think that the real estate and domain.com is where most of the market is. Most off-market stuff's overpriced. I'm sorry, folks, I hate to say that, but the whole off-market thing, um, in my experience, is someone that's too afraid to put a sign out the front because they think the neighbours will laugh at them. So 
the buyer's agents often pitch this, I can get you the house that no one else knows about. Well, the best houses are always, it, it, well, mainly, not always, but mainly uh, do appear on market. So if, if, if you've got the time and you can find your own property, I think you, should, you don't need a buyer's agent. Um, if you are time poor um, and you are happy to pay for the service, there's value because it's someone on the ground um, but I think people, again, need to be very mindful of the fact some buyer's agents don't even work Saturdays. They don't come to our Saturday opens. So they, oh, no, no, I don't work Saturdays. That's why I got out of being an agent because it's too hard. So like if you're paying someone 2% on a purchase and they're not even going to the Saturday opens, like what planet? If, anyway, that, that, that's a whole other thing. Um, uh, we, but, yeah, look, <laughs> my, my, view, my view is, is that there's a, there's a small percentage of people that really would benefit from having a buyer's agent. I think there's a fairly high percentage of people that would benefit from having someone to bid on their behalf at an auction. Um, because if you don't know auctions and the first time you attend an auction, you're one of the registered parties, you are vulnerable. You're going into a very stressful situation. Mm. Um, I bid all the time on behalf of clients. I've been doing this for half my life. I still get super, super anxious before an auction. And it's not even my money. Like I'm walking up the driveway going, oh, <laughs> and like it's, it's a very, very sort of stressful process. So I, I would say to people out there that, you know, should you use a buyer's agent? If you've got time to look, probably not. If you don't know what you're doing at an auction, you should definitely pay someone to go and bid on your behalf or, or, or at least stand next to you because you will make decisions um, on the auction floor um, that you wouldn't have thought that you would make. Uh, it's it's very very overwhelming. Before I sort of cut in there, you- which I will, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, question for you, David: Do you believe that every property is a good property as long as it's at the right price? No. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yes. Um, I feel like I'm in trouble here. I feel like I'm. No, no, no. You're not. <laughs> what, interestingly, what you've done for me. I'm just going to sit oh, back here with a. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Veronica just opened a buyer's agent's business. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna defend um, the use of buyer's agents per se. Mainly because I think what you've done, you've described your experience of the buyer's agents you've worked with. Yeah. And what you've actually described to me is a sad indictment on the buyer's agents in. Well, particularly in the lower North Shore, anyway, because if the only pitch from them is the off markets, which you've said is mostly overpriced crap that basically wouldn't really cut it on the open market, and I totally agree. I think that's just a very lame and obvious yeah. pitch for someone in terms of, um, you know, a value add. Yeah. The real value add, and and then bidding at auction, sure, that's sort of overcoming the the fear of the and the, the yeah. stress of a of a, a very pressure um, situation where. You're outmatched. You don't really know what you talk. You know, you don't know what you're doing because you're unfamiliar with that environment and high sums of money. But one of the things that you said earlier, which I wanted to pick up with, and you said you're you're scared sometimes. I think you use that word about the amount of power a sales agent has at times, and you're the conduit between the buyer and the seller. And unfortunately, in my view, most buyers agents aren't up to the task. Yeah. of actually meeting you and and fulfilling, I guess, some, you know, uh, what's the word, bridging that gap between the power you have and the, imp- the lack of power that the buyer has. That's yeah. where a really good buyer's agent makes their money. That's where they're worth it because they basically can interpret all that stuff that you know, all that power that you have. Yeah, they're like the whisperer. But there's very few with that level of skill, yeah. right? And – to be, I mean, quite frankly, I've been surveying um, buyers agents, and I because I've launched a mentoring program, so this is perfect because yeah. because the reason I've done so is because there's a very a real shortage of skills out there in buyers agency because you can go and do a, li- a license course, yeah, and you know until recently in New South Wales, anyway, you'd set up business as a buyers agency without actually learning one thing about being a buyers agent, and and you've learned how to sell property, you've learned how to put a property on uh, through property management, but you haven't actually learned how to be a buyer's agent. So I guess what you're, as a sales agent, your insights there are really telling to me about really the caliber of buyer's agent out there. Mm. And I would agree with you that if that's all you're dealing with, that's what you're seeing out there in the marketplace, then yeah, buyers, if they've got the time and the energy and the, um, and the inclination, would be better off not using one. 
Totally. Uh, look, you, you touch on a really good point. I think in real estate on both sides of the coin, being real estate selling agents and buyers agents, the available training in the industry is pretty woeful. Mm. Um, most of it's about getting new business. It's yes. not about It's not about execution. Um, and you're right mm. the, the, about, I, I, I should make the comment, there are some very good buyers agents because they know how to read what the agent's doing they they you know they really can play the game it's 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 actually a bit sad to me that that they are in some ways necessary in a landscape where it's like vendor advocacy mm. isn't it a shame that there needs to be a business to help people yeah. to choose someone yeah. in business um but um the training element is whenever i've gone to conferences in the past, most of the time it's about how to win mm. new business, how to manage 10 campaigns, um, how to sell more advertising. Um, it's not like how to negotiate when you're stuck between a Scottish um, owner and a Chinese purchaser, which is yeah. the, the deal I just described before. Yeah. Very challenging. But the, 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 the actual, the craft of being a buyer's agent, I, I haven't seen anywhere where that's taught. Mm. Literally, I've literally just finished a pilot program because it isn't taught anywhere. Yeah. So, well, yeah. so, well, selling agents should look out because I can tell you it's not just buyers agents. A lot of selling agents couldn't negotiate their way out of a a, a corner. Yeah. And, um, they think it's all just price. They won't look at terms. Like it's a, you, you get a well educated person that comes into real estate that understands negotiation and understands communication and um, uh, expectations management in the right way. Um, they just run rings around the, a lot of the people that are in the industry. Yeah, David, as long as they can. Kind of different. Ah, so you go, Veronica. No, I was about to say, as long as they can divorce themselves, because I mean, when you're a buyer, it's your money, and there's emotion involved. Even if you're an investor, a lot of people say, "Oh, I'm not emotional about the purchase," you know. But sometimes yeah. fear drives that lack of emotion, yeah. or the perceived lack of, or attempted lack of emotion. And so there's always emotion involved to a degree. And I know myself; I'm an expert, right? I I live and breathe this stuff. When I'm buying a property, it's extraordinarily stressful because it's my money, you yeah. know. And I treat other people's money with utmost respect, but it's still I don't have the emotional tie to their money that I have to my own. Um, so there's, and I've made mistakes when I've left it to myself, you know, with my yeah. money and my ultra caution with my own money. And I should have thrown caution to the wind on a cup. Not, I should not have ever thrown caution to the wind, but there's two deals I know now that I, re- I, I will live forever regretting not buying those two properties yeah. and I could have bought them, you know. Yeah. We um, all have those. We all have those. Yeah, yeah. I, like I drive past many houses that I wish I'd bought where I'm like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, David, so, you've uh, made an active choice not to go and uh, lie. I'm sure you've been hunted and uh, by Bell, by McGrath, by LJ, by Rain and Horn, et cetera, and you've made an active decision to not go down a franchise model or become part of a big group, what yeah. sort of dr- drove in your, I guess, uh, resilience to stay independent as a boutique? Because in the real estate agent, it's so prolific, right? Like it's almost like people are hunting each other and it's all about yeah. the franchise, but there's very few boutique players that sort of hold their ground. Um, yeah. What's the reason for that and why, you, I guess, you're passionate about it? Because you have to be to, to stick around. Yeah, look, it's funny. I mean, in weaker moments, uh, again, if I've had a couple of glasses of wine, I'll often say to friends, had I gone and joined McGrath 12 years ago, we'd be all sitting out in the back of my boat, blah, blah, blah. Because, <laughs> you know, I think the reality is, is that particularly during the boom, when it was at full steam, the major franchises did amazingly well. And a lot of their top agents were super, very, very good agents. And they really revolutionized the business. I mean, I think credit to John McGrath where it was due at the time real estate was very archaic and that business came along and 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 lifted the bar and and it did, but then it went, you know, obviously on its own journey. Um I nearly I nearly went and worked with with them way back when and I think the thing that made me nervous was the um lack of um flexibility um like sitting in front of a client that you know maybe doesn't need to sell but will sell if they get a certain number but you know you don't have to rope them up into a twenty thousand dollar auction campaign a lot of those franchise models are very um uh, there's a prescribed formula and um to be honest i can't sit in front of someone and say i reckon you should do this when i kind of know deep down you shouldn't um and i always found that quite um, challenging um We've only had a bit of interest from other... I think the newsletter has probably kept a lot of the franchises at bay because <laughs> I don't really want a fox in the hen house. Um, 
But but I think look, being independent enables us. Like we own the building that we're in. Um, uh, we I've got a team of really good people. Um, um, they've all got families. Um, we love sales. It's the best. Like when you know when deals are on and and you can put them together, it's great. But I think um, I think I think having being out of that high pressured sales formula allows you to be a little bit more human um yeah and to be honest with you like i, I don't want to again i don't want to sound like i'm trying to sound like the angel of real estate i, I just don't like if you live and work in an area um it, it's nice to be able to bump into people and they go yeah you know he was good to work with he was, they, we made a mistake we should have taken his advice we didn't but um i think franchises can be quite um uh, limited, and I think that's why now you see the rise of models like the agency, which has agents being able to work with a little bit more um, uh, of their own sort of independence within mm. that model. Um, but for us, I mean, we we sort of love where we are. We have Halloween at the office, Christmas at the office. The newsletter wouldn't get past, I'm sure, the editing suites of um, Bell and McGrath. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I, I, I don't know, Chris, maybe one day if they come in and the helicopter over the top with the box of cash and they say, we're going we're gonna to drive you out of town, then, uh, then we'll talk. But I, I think independence is just enables us to be, you know, completely independent of... of um, of uh yeah the whole franchise model it sounds a little like independence really suits your personality like it, you know <laughs> you do see these things you do have a certain certain turn of phrase and you do have a um despite the fact you've been you know well and truly indoctrinated in the industry you've been in it since 19 25 years like you haven't had yeah. a career outside of this industry but you still do see appear to have a perception of it or or a, a view of it that is less um, it's more, uh, what's the word? It's more 360 degree. You know what I mean? You're, you're yeah. not totally immersed in it. You can't see it the way outsiders would see it. And I think that's what makes your newsletter quite refreshing because, you know, I look, I've been in it 22 years as well, but I mean, I was 30. I'm not giving away my, oh, I was in my yeah. early, very early 30s when I got into yeah, property. Yeah. I was 17 when I got into property. <laughs> um, you know, so I had, I had some other perspective, but even so in my early years, I remember, you know, rabbiting out and, and regurgitating the stuff that my colleagues were saying and I was yeah. learning and, and my friends from outside the industry are mocking me. And I'm like, that's healthy yeah. <laughs> to, to be mocked when you say, and the end of the day, the agent, the, you know, the market will determine the price, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> All that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it's it, it, look. I love the industry, and Chris touched on it before about the story. Um, I, I probably, hopefully, will get to a point where I can write a book. And it's I, the one thing I love about the job that I have is access to to people. I've I've worked for Supreme Court judges. I've done, you know, um, I, I didn't have a formal education. My father died when I was quite young, and I left school and went into real estate kind of because I had to. Like, I kind of needed a job that could pay pretty well. And so it was, at the time, a bit of a, I'll give this a crack. And, and so it wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a destiny path. But I think that working with people um, when they're vulnerable, um, and it sounds cheesy, but... There's something really cool about working with um, people when, like, change is awful. And and I think if you've mm. bought and sold yourselves, you know what it's like. It's just, it, it's not fun. Um, but it, it, some of my best friends are, are former clients and they weren't good mates when we started out. Like, one is yeah. a barrister and he always tells the story about when we met and he goes, oh, this bloke, he was all swagger and all this. <laughs> and then over the sale of his home, we really connected and just became good mates and, you know, yeah. recently did a trek together. So I, I, I'd say to people thinking about getting into real estate that there's huge opportunity to come into the business and do well and you can be yourself and you don't have to be a high-pressure parrot. Mm. But you can't come in and do it in a year. Like, it, no. It, it, take, it takes time. It takes a long Gotta time to dislodge the dogs. To get rid of the, uh, the top dogs selling 90% of the properties. But absolutely, oh. I mean, same for here. I mean... You know, every time I meet a client, it's it's a bit more fun for me. I do a lot of purchases, right, which is it's more about forward thinking, let's make this happen. And you're probably dealing a lot more on the sales side when things are happening that yeah. are forcing them to sell or, you know, it's uh, a transition period. So uh, it's different end of the journey. So, Dave, you got a, in that vein a property dumbo for us, um, a story that we can uh, all learn from. Yeah, so I, I, I thought about this and I actually talked to my colleagues and probably the best example I can give you is, um, this is from the buyer's side, um, a property Dumbo from the buyer's side, but mm -hmm. um, we were selling a house for a lady who was in her early 90s and she'd been raised 
in this house. Um, and she appointed us to sell it. Um, we put it on the market. We had two purchasers that wanted to buy it. One was an investment banker. Um, one was a local mum with a couple of kids. And we got into a very competitive pre-auction bidding situation. Um, the investment banker on paper had a lot of tactical sort of prowess about negotiating and he put an offer on the table that uh, I'm sure you guys have heard the terms exploding bids. Like he put an offer on the table yep. that blew up, blew up at three o'clock that afternoon. Um, otherwise, he was walking away. <laughs> and Joy, our vendor, uh, Joy, who's like this beautiful, beautiful older woman, all she cared about when I was selling the house was that her cat didn't get outside. Um, and we we had that purchaser, and then we had the other purchaser who offered a hundred thousand dollars less. Um, but happened to bump into Joy on the street. And when I went down and sat down with um, her and said, here it is, these are the offers, um, she looked at me and she said, I, I, I don't want to sell to him. I want to sell to <laughs> the, um, the, the lady I met with the two little kids. And I said, no, that's madness. I'll be in trouble. Like, I can't sell the property for less. And she said, no, no, I'll ring my solicitor. I'll let him know. Um, you've told me everything, um, but I'm not selling to him. And I actually rang this. Is, I hope I don't get into trouble for this. But I, I rang, I rang the purchaser and was like, "Mate, you need to like back down. You need to unexplode your bid. You need to take a very different sort of angle here because it's not going your way." Um, and um, the property sold and sold to the other party. So I think the key learning for me or for the the, the Dumbo uh, thing is is that you get more bees with honey. It, it plays to be smart and not be heroic and i think particularly when you're buying yeah. someone's home you're buying their story um yeah and how that trickles down to them often you know makes a big big difference to how it's perceived so yeah that'd be that'd be that'd be my uh that'd be my main i've got one in a very similar vein a client of ours a very close client of ours um the owner was pretending she was a cleaner Right. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so they were buying the property and she sort of bumped into them pretending to clean it and she judged who she was going to sell it on and how they dealt with her. Um, and the client was really nice and yeah. respectful and honoured their presence <laughs> and um, was, you know, smiley and things like that. She was dressed as a cleaner, had the stuff and everything. It was the owner. Um, and generally when they, the agent um, sold the property, they said, look, she said, I want to sell it to these guys as long as they're around the money. And then yeah. they made an offer and she thought the offer was fair and she accepted it. And then it was chaos for the agent. Um, yeah. The person was offering more, way more, give them 150 grand more, et cetera. Uh, and then the vendor just held their price and just went ahead with the, the deal with my client offered. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. People can, sometimes vendors obviously just care about the price, but um, they wrote a letter in that situation as well, explaining like, this is yeah. our situation. Um, because they had a feeling that the house, the owner might value that stuff just because of the, yeah. um, the culture. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes it's not all about the money. It's the, the experience the vendor really wants out of the, the yeah, but who, who, who makes Who makes an exploding offer to a 92-year-old woman and says, if you don't take <laughs> it, I'm walking away? Like she was like, mate, I've been here since both wars like it's kind of like it's probably you know, i couldn't spend the hundred thousand dollars yeah, no, well, this is the thing i actually i caught up with her after the, the the sale went through and she'd bought like a dyson and she'd bought like this new grill and she was like minted you know because the house had sold for <laughs> this huge price and she'd never had all this cash but mm. yeah i think i i think the key learning in that is is that um Men in particular, um, uh, when they're negotiating, uh, often sort of use aggression as a um, uh, an attempted tool, and often it does not work. It's an interesting one, and I, you know, it's funny because sometimes you know our clients will say, aren't, aren't, "Aren't you going to put a deadline on the offer?" I'm like, "The deadline has to have some meaning." Yeah. You know, I put a deadline on the offer at three o'clock in the afternoon because you need to have that extra hour to go to the bank to get the money transfer so you can yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. transfer the deposit. There's meaning behind that, but just threatening and posturing. And I have to confess, we've tried all that. You know, oh, I've been yeah. in this business long enough to have tried all those things, those tactics, and and then it's like, you know, they don't work. They just get people offside. And, mm. you know, if you lose the purchase because you've been dick swinging, you know, like yeah. or, or trying to – um. You know, it's like I've seen people at auction, you know, wait till the very last minute. You know, yeah, they're just holding out, holding out, holding out. Hammer falls, then they bid. Imagine that conversation <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> I, um, oh, I bought that. a little house up the coast. 
I, I bought a little house up the coast a few years ago and when I drove past, the sign was falling down and I rang the agent and I said, mate, and so this is me, and I rang him and said, did it go to auction? He said, yeah, yeah, it went to auction about two months ago. And I said, what a pass in that? And he's like, 800000 like, yeah, okay, well, we'll offer you six fifty. And he said, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you want to buy this property, you're going to have to pay the ask. And for the next four weeks, I rang him every day, let him have it, deadline the offer, and bid <laughs> myself up. And we bought it for 800000 Let's go. Well done. And that agent, to this day, I always joke to him, I'm like, you played me like a fiddle. Because he, he didn't <laughs> let his ego get into it. And I would bring him and go, they're crazy. He's like, if you want the house, this is the price. And, I love it. you know, in the <laughs> end, we paid it. So, yeah. <laughs> Gold. Well, David, on that note, so thank you so much. Chat. Yeah, thank oh, you so pleasure. much. Thanks for having me on. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.